0: Hello, filmmakers, and watchers, and lovers of, and dreamers and thinkers about, film. On this week's episode of HDM Film, Dan and I discuss how the successful runs of our separate plays have led us not into the yellow submarines of endless happiness, but into the octopi gardens of post-show depression. But strawberry fields await, as Dan has finally seen Hamilton, which I saw years ago back when people saw it properly. One of us loved it, one of us did not. Find out who, and find out why, In which who did, and which who didn't why. And here's a hint, it wasn't me. Dan next catapults into an unexpected defense of Ant-Man Quantumania. It is less bad than it actually is. His argument goes, Even though it truly is bad, it's just not that bad, he claims and gives examples, before artfully dodging into a big announcement that his film, Old Excalibur, has finally gone into pre-production! We talk about the time-traveling detective show, Bodies, and how our flag means death makes a critical storytelling error that only Monty Python has ever successfully made. My name is Sean Hurley, and I'm a playwright and TV show staff writer, and sitting directly across the Mocha Vente Latte of the Atlantic Ocean from me is the pre director and now pre producer of the film Hold Excalibur. Dan exclamation point Freeman.
1: Start it. Start it. Right. How is your play, Sean?
0: Oh, I didn't want to start with that.
1: Oh, okay, right. We'll start with me.
0: How is your play, Dan?
1: It was great. Oh yeah, I haven't seen you since, have oh, I? No, it was great. Mm. It was so exciting. I don't know if I told you this, but um I have a friend who was in a very, very big film and he was, you know, flown around the world and everything and, you know, it was really...
0: Wait, you're not going to say? You're not going to say what the film was or who this... I'm not going to say. Oh. No. <laughs> I don't even want to hear this story.
1: <laughs> he said it was brilliant, you know. It, was, it had such a good time and afterwards he had the worst depression possible. Yes, yeah. And that's how it feels after, you know, doing... We did the play, it was very intense. We were, you know rehearsing and it was great and then we went out for drinks afterwards we had a lovely time it was a very exciting town lancaster is really really very busy and lots going on and then afterwards it's a kind of a, a come down it's kind of i need a day doing more or less nothing dribbling and eating ice cream
0: i feel like i'm going to be depressed for i don't know i can't even foresee the end of it i think i'll cease being uh and it's a, it's a its own type of depression And I, Mm. I think that's why I was hesitant to say anything because the, the play went well. It was, you know, better than I could have expected, but I felt awful the whole time and worse and worse. And it felt a little bit like when our son, Sam went away to school or there's, there's some kind of a sense of, uh, like you've lost something. Maybe it's this thing you've been working on for such a long time and suddenly you don't need to work on it anymore and it's all done and you're like, now what do I do? There's this real sense of like an absence has arrived and I don't know what to do with myself Mm. and I don't know if I was completely satisfied with how things went. I don't know if you can ever be completely satisfied, whatever that even means. I don't think that even exists. I think you're always hoping for more than you can possibly imagine, you know? (laughs) <laughs> like, like uh, I don't know, not only is it sold out, but all these lovely things happen and now it's going to be on Broadway and they're turning it into a movie and someone wants to write a novel about it or, you know, I, I didn't have any of those fantasies, but I think you do expect more, some unknown more, and then that never happens. You, what you always get is some known less. And anyway, I, you sound like, even though we sort of had a similar experience, yours sounds like it was a little brighter and happier and merrier, and like you had a really great time at some point and then kind of depressed. I didn't ever have that really good time, but I'm just wondering.
1: Oh, that's terrible. That's really sad. Thank you. I'm, I mean, yeah, I must admit, <laughs> I think we had a great time, to be honest. I mean, I, I was just thrilled to have it being performed and, you know, working with actors, really great actors and... I'm just, you know, getting a nice reaction from the audience. And, um, I mean, yours, it sounds like a huge success, but you're so funny about your, your reactions to things. You're, you're difficult to, to please. I mean, you're like, I, I feel like when you get a birthday present, you'll go, oh, it's exactly what I wanted. Now I can't. You know, now, now there's nothing to, nothing to, no disappointment I can uh, enjoy not being brought down by or something, you know. It's-
0: I think that you're correct in making me sound awful, in, but I feel like it's a really natural thing that, that a lot of people experience in lots of different ways when when they get what, they, what they've asked for and when it's been some sort of, like, measure of work to get there. Whether it's, you know, I don't want to equate it to, like, postpartum depression because that is a whole thing unto itself uh, but it's like you get the new job and then you work there for a week and you're like huh uh, i don't know you know <laughs> uh, yeah i maybe i should have thought bigger or differenter i think people don't talk about that part <laughs> the, the the downside of this and that's probably good because it's not fun to hear about i imagine so why are we talking about it dan i blame
1: you well because because you're a you're a bad person yeah. i suppose
0: and you know what you i think you, well, not you told that story about with the with some famous person in a in a uh, all this this major film it seemed to have nothing to do with your story and then you didn't tell us what who that was
1: oh yeah no i didn't i mean it had nothing to do i mean i i do do tangents but yeah i just think well after i've done something like a production of any sort i mean especially a shoot a shoot, you're up at dawn. Yeah. And then you're all day. If you're directing everything, you know, you're never off. You don't get a break, do you? You sort of... You, and everybody is referring everything to you. So... Then afterwards, I find physical, sort of physical depression. And then because I'm autistic, that's kind of, Mm. I can't tell whether it's physical or mental. So I get, you know, a day or a day and a half, maybe when I'm not really, I know now to just don't try and do anything, just sit and eat ice cream and watch films. Mm. But I'm sorry to say that I don't feel like you do, really. I mean, I I understand the sort of, when you've got uh, a kind of pressing urgency, all the time, when you're when you're doing, you know, you're building up, you're writing the thing, trying to make it good, and then and then you get there, and then you you're making it, and then you haven't got it anymore. There's no urgent something, yeah, that you have to do every time when you get up in the morning. There's nothing that urgently needs doing. I think it is like I think I mean it sounds this sounds really flip, but I think it's like caring for someone who dies. Maybe, <laughs> you know, after after someone yeah someone you've been caring for for so long dies then you feel kind of a, a sort of release maybe that you don't have to do it and then you feel um sorrow and then you for for them and then you feel the sorrow of the sort of lostness of not having anything urgent to do all the time and i suppose maybe there's a small type of mourning that goes with it but
0: Right. And you have all of these feelings that you've sort of generated over months that are, that surround this. It's sort of like the death of a, of a thing rather than the mm. death of a person, but this thing that is, that's sort of rising up before you. And you have all these complex feelings. So you can't wait until it's done. That's one thing, you know? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You sort of, you know, in a, uh, a dark way, can't wait for this person to die because it's so hard for them and it's so hard for you and you know there's going to be relief beyond that. You don't want them to, but there's still that that guilty feeling like, oh, well, I'll be relieved then. Um, But you just have all of these... These emotions and this physical structure and a lifestyle that has developed around this thing, like a play, going to rehearsals, being there, thinking about it, uh, wrestling with it, you know, building the set and the structures and seeing the cost. You know, it's a little world and then all of a sudden it's gone and now I don't know what to do. I mean, I like that ice cream idea, (laughs) sitting there for a day. I mean, but for me it feels like it's going to last until I find something else to work on. Really, like something that really grabs me that I want to work on, but I I can't. I don't know what that mm. what that is. Have you ever read Hen- Henry Miller, the Tropic of Cancer, and no. all that? No, American. Uh, so he would. Um, He was very good about these kinds of things. So he would uh, go to bed. If he was depressed, he would go to bed. And the next day he would wake up, and if he still felt like he was depressed, he would just stay in bed. (laughs) So he would often often stay in bed for, you know, three, four, five days. And then when he did finally get out of bed and return to the world, his depression was gone. Mm. Um, I always wanted to do that, but it seems... It doesn't seem possible in the modern world to have that the luxury of that depression bath of Henry mm, yeah. Henry Miller.
1: I don't think I have time to do yeah. anything. I mean, I've always got something to do, so I'm not sure I get the chance to reflect and you know, yeah, be have a, a long term sort of.
0: So so far, this podcast has been how to be sad about your play. So maybe yeah, we, maybe we should, <laughs> we have any filmmaking. Uh, topics that we can uh, we can topic to.
1: It's not just about... I think these are germane. I think these thoughts are useful.
0: It pertains to filmmaking as well. Yeah. Any kind of creative. If you paint a painting or, you know, you do anything that, that occupies you for a little while, mm. you probably will feel this and then feel strange and guilty about... Feeling those things, even though it's incredibly common. I mean, it's just like a thing. It is. You know, you have a big gallery show, you're going to be depressed afterwards. You work on a movie, you're an actor in it, a writer on it, or the director of it. Afterwards, you're depressed, you know. It's just how it goes.
1: Yeah, I think it's useful to talk about it and useful to recognize it. Mm. Because I often say this, that what we're doing is not, what we do is not... Uh, brain surgery or we're not working down a mine so it is not what you call difficult in the big scheme of things but in the small scheme of things it is difficult it's really difficult i mean i i know that actors get kind of a hard time because of the actors that people know are you know rich and mm. um and you know have these exciting lifestyles but it is really really hard and i mean physically they are it's exhausting they have to psychologically it's exhausting mentally and, you know, creating anything as in the way we do is it is really tiring. And for what it is, it's very difficult. So I think you've got to recognize that. And I, I think particularly if you're if you're thinking oh, this, I shouldn't be feeling bad about it. It's such a barrier, mm. you know, the sort of guilt that you should be glad. that. You, I mean, you should be glad that you're able to do it, but also recognize that it's hard and just either do it or don't but don't sort of go into writing or creating anything and thinking oh, i should be feeling better about this you know it's
0: it's hard right and it definitely does have it's it's uh good moments was that a strange beep noise that i just heard apparently maybe that was my phone Sorry.
1: It might have been tr- someone connecting with me on LinkedIn on my phone. Okay. <laughs> which we're talking, but
0: what is what is the point of LinkedIn? I I can't I can't I can't gather it. Okay, I'll tell you what the point is. It seems just irrelevant and irritating and it's just like the social network that's just out there to bother people. Yeah, that's that's it. But it seems to have some point that it, for professionals, what is it?
1: Well, as you know, I'm raising investment for film at the moment. Yes. And I've got some help with this from some lovely people who may come on the, on the podcast, but you have to make contact with investors. So what you can't do is put on your website, hey, I'm looking for investment, come and invest in my thing. You've got to find the right people because um, investment is a sort of partnership as well. So how you do that is on LinkedIn. Well, that's why I'm on LinkedIn to find investors and, you know, to a lesser extent, collaborators of different sorts. But It's a sort of work and social networking thing. So I'm on it because I was told to be on it. And this is another thing that you can either, I think you can go into this sort of thing by thinking, oh God, you know, I've got to go on and talk about work and, you know, find strangers and talk to strangers and what have you. But I think there is an upside to it in that if you go in with the right attitude, you actually get to talk to some Nice people. I mean, you you find. Are
0: you talking? Are you talking about LinkedIn going into LinkedIn and talking? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, you you have an excuse to meet people, and a lot of those people will be not very interesting, or whatever. But some are really, really nice, and it's like it's like um networking events, which I'm supposed to go to a networking event in Wales uh, in a couple of days, and I'm resisting it. Mm. You know? so, I am too. Yeah, but you know, because neither you nor I like going to these things. However, every time I go to one, I meet someone really interesting or nice, like right. like not not just like oh they're like really cool. Like mm-hmm. I met someone at the last one I went to who introduced me to William Todd Jones, who is now our creature effects guru. Right, he's the the best creature effects person in the world, and you know it was just because I went up and talked to this guy who had a really cool dragon. <laughs> i just you know went up and said you know which is is something you should always i always say this to to other people you know i say it to my kids and stuff but um in my preachy ways that enjoy stuff loudly or it'll disappear quietly Mm. and if i like something i try and say it to the person who's made it or done it and it that's what i'd like if some if someone's enjoying this podcast then she should say so. Us,
0: should <laughs> she, she. Should, she should. She does. She's said. She's already told us.
1: She does say it. Yeah, she does yeah. say it. Nice. She
0: doesn't actually need to say it anymore. I feel like.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, we we'll let her I off.
0: I feel like there's a, we put a lot of pressure uh, on on Juliet. I
1: reckon she's probably
0: to to, to really shore us up uh, in the audience side of things, and that's too much. Yeah. <laughs> um.
1: I think she she's probably left left by now. You
0: know, I I feel like that's really lovely advice, and I feel like it's also. I almost have a, I don't have the opposite advice, but I have, so if I was at one of these events and I saw a man with a dragon and I really love the dragon or I was very impressed by the, his little booth or whatever, that's when I have the most difficulty talking to someone. Mm -hmm. If I'm really interested, like if I'm really, if I'm attracted to someone, something, whatever it is, the fact that I am is a bar that stops me from from getting closer in fact all i do then is just slowly back away slowly back away you're
1: a disaster you're a disaster (laughs) of a man i I don't know how you function
0: i thought you were going to give me some some sense of like understanding and consolation (laughs) and yes nah, i that makes sense to me and i understand yes you but here's how to meet the man with the dragon uh you i feel like that's a human thing too but i feel like your advice is right and i need you to tell me that and you have already have so i'll take that as my daily lesson thank you
1: <laughs> what was the what was the lesson you took from
0: uh that um i need to enjoy things loudly or something happens small i can't remember the whole lesson but i remember that first part i'm
1: glad it hit home in that <laughs> way <laughs> no i mean i just i th- i i uh you know, I, I find this, myself resisting this kind of thing very much. But yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I have to do the LinkedIn thing. I have to have no choice. But I just know from experience. I think so, somebody asked me once, how, how did I write? I used to write for a regular show, you know, and someone asked me, how, you know, wasn't I scared that I wouldn't be able to come up with the material? And I am scared always that I won't be able to come up with the material. Every script I start, I think, you know, can, will I be able to, will this be any good? Will I be able to finish it? Blah, blah, blah. But the only thing that, that comforts me is that I know that I can because I've done it in the past. Mm. So experience. Right. If you experience is what is what you, you don't have to be confident. You just have to know that it happened like this in the past. And if you're a beginner and you think you're good, you think you're going to be able to do it fine. Then that's arrogance. Right. Um, you. It's natural to feel you're not going to be able to do it. And I don't think that feeling goes away.
0: I think you do have to have that fear. So like the first, uh, you know, six times I went into the writer's room, before I went into the writer's room, I just spent, you know, hours trying to think of ideas, things that I could bring with me into Mm. this thing because I didn't feel like I'd be able to come up with anything while I was in, you know, the room. Um, Mm. But then, of course, there were times when, I didn't have that opportunity and then I realized, oh, you know, I, I can think of things while other people are around in the room. You know, like I somehow this idea that the only way I can think or come up with any kind of creative anything is if I'm all by myself somewhere and it's peaceful and nothing is bothering me and everything's just right. That's how I come up with ideas. But I had to realize and go through this experience of, you know, fear and suffering and preparation and then, you know, not having anything going into writer's rooms without anything and then just realizing oh i can still come up with stuff and then i don't worry about it anymore now i don't now i don't have to do anything i don't have to prepare and i just hope that my mind isn't falling apart <laughs> that's the only ha- thing i have now is i just hope my mind isn't falling apart and it probably is i think it is you can probably tell <laughs> sorry yeah yeah
1: i saw hamilton a couple of nights ago
0: the uh film or the musical the live musical but I saw it live oh you did okay what did you think
1: yeah I thought it was great I mean I think it's great more than I liked it hmm. I mean I think it's brilliant I mean his l- lyrics and his songwriting and just the the whole thing is, is a work of uh, genius I don't love it you know that my my wife and daughter loved it My my daughter was kind of staring at the stage with her mouth open kept looking at me grinning and you know that was lovely to see and uh you know it was great to see how much everybody the whole audience loved it absolutely packed at the palace theater in manchester which is huge Hmm. but uh, yeah i mean he's he's so good he's so he's so clever uh, lin-manuel did
0: i talk about how my experience of it before i can't remember if i did
1: no you didn't let me guess (laughs) you're gonna guess okay go ahead okay you tell me you went along you went you went along and you liked it but that made you sad <laughs> and then
0: <laughs> is that my sim- is that my simple way of being is like everything makes me sad and no, i no
1: no i was i hadn't finished oh okay then
0: <laughs> you
1: <laughs> no go on no what did you okay
0: think? so well anyway i so you remember when hamilton was just sort of like the barbie movie of 2000 and 17 through 2020 it was like it was the big thing that everybody was Mm. talking about people who hadn't seen musicals ever were dying to see it for some reason like Mm. it was just it was almost a sickness it was like this thing that people just needed to see hamilton needed to see hamilton i needed to see it too because i was like what is this thing but um it was so at at a certain point it got incredibly expensive Mm. you know it was um hundreds and hundreds of dollars people were flying in and spending you know ten thousand dollars to see hamilton They'd fly in, they'd sit in their $2,000 seat, watch Hamilton. Anyway, so I didn't have that money. Um, But while I was in Chicago for a writer's room, and I was there for like four or five months, they had, uh, Hamilton was playing at one of the big in-town Chicago theaters, and they had a daily lottery where three people would get uh, free tickets So every single day I would throw my name, my email into this little lottery thing. And one day, maybe like 30 days later, I finally won it. So I got like this really amazing ticket and I sat like, I think it was like a front row seat. And I sat with the other lottery winners and I was so ready to be uh, so blown away that it hardly did anything to me at all.
1: You're a disaster of a man. You will, ne- you will never be Is it my fault? It's your fault. Okay. It's your fault. You're a bad person. There's something wrong with you. There is something wrong with your brain. You cannot enjoy anything.
0: I didn't hate... I, okay, well, I didn't hate Hamilton. I just hated me experiencing Hamilton. <laughs> I felt like I, at the end of it, I was like, I can't tell anyone how I felt about that experience because they won't like me anymore. And because I'm probably wrong, I feel like people just love that Hamilton so much that I can't, I, whatever my experience was, was my own experience is particular to me. And I don't need to weigh in on it. My, my opinion doesn't count. You said it. You're right. There is something Mm. wrong. There's something wrong. I just thought it it was, it was. To quote
1: Bad Santa, you need many years of therapy, many, many years.
0: Do you, do you think there actually is something (laughs) wrong with
1: me? Yeah, oh, do you want a list? <laughs> I mean, do you think that people
0: that don't like Hamilton, there's something sort of like rotten about them, their souls, or like they can't feel something? Yeah,
1: oh. I don't know. I think, I think no. To be honest, I mean, I I don't listen to it. You know, it's on in the house quite a lot because my, you know, because my family like it. But I, I think it's brilliant. It's just not my cup of tea. But I mean, did did you not you not appreciate the brilliance of it or the songwriting, the the, the rhyming schemes? You know. The...
0: Uh, I think I, I think I appreciated all the technical stuff, hmm. but without any emotional relationship to it. Right. So, hmm. so it's sort of like you know, it's like watching. One of these talent shows, when somebody comes on and they have an amazing voice and they can dance, but you hate the song, you know? Yeah. And that's sort of, yeah, yeah. sort of what I felt like. I thought it was incredibly well staged. It was a, a strangely chaotic show. Like nothing ever was still. Mm. There's always th- all the people in the background were always doing little things like polishing candles or tying little ropes or everybody was moving and busy. It was like an ocean of, of, of human activity while there was a principal wave in front of you, you know, uh, powerfully delivering something. But I just felt like the, I just felt like it all washed over me uh, and I didn't get to feel like the temperature of it. I didn't, I just didn't get it right but and it might have been that i was so desirous i think i i think when your expectations are, are raised you're you're hoping that the thing that you want to be fulfilled yeah, yeah is going to be fulfilled so whatever like for me some sort of like ultimate musical experience would be probably would be have some sort of romantic element to it probably would have some kind of classical element to it maybe just more traditional old-fashioned-y kind of music. Not that I'm against, you know, hip-hop. I like it. But it doesn't touch my soul. But, (sighs) so I think that we're, it's sort of like we're dreaming of the dessert that we most like best. And we're hoping that that gets delivered. The cake that I love, which is, you know, has a little raspberry in it and a coconut frosting. And and
1: this was a different cake. (laughs) You, You know what? I was just thinking of, I started to watch Quantumania, Ant-Man, Quantumania. I like Ant-Man very much, the first two films. And then somebody told me, who somebody who was heavily involved in Quantumania, who I know told me it was crap. And I watched it with that in mind. I, okay, I've only watched the first half of it, but I quite enjoyed it. And I could tell which bits were crap and which, mm. which weren't. I mean, so there were crap things about it and, and good things about it.
0: Was there a general crap thing about it? Like it was just... Stupid, but you could enjoy it, or were there just particular places where it just fell to pieces?
1: So, I'll tell you what I thought was wrong with Quantum Mania, and because I, I think there's a good tip for writing in it, and that was it had some good gags at the beginning and it had some great visuals, at least so far. But what it didn't do was take the central narrative seriously. So, I would strongly advise any writers, screenwriters listening to heed the words of John McTiernan who was the the director of Die Hard and Predator and some you know other great films. He said that you can make jokes about anything except for the central narrative, something like that. So in in other words, you've got to have a central story and that has to matter that has to matter to the filmmaker, the audience, and it has to matter to the characters as well so if they are trying to find the Holy Grail or something and they like start joking about it, it completely it really really damages the the film I think because they've it's got to be the most urgent thing in the world, and that means they've got to treat it as urgent, not joke about it because it's too important, but also they um Oh, no, I've lost my thread, <laughs> imagine that.
0: Well, you know what, I feel like that that's absolutely true. And then the other way to look at it is the only way that you can do that is if you're Monty Python. Because I think that's, I think that that is what uh, they decided to do was to make fun of the central narrative. So I think that central, your story is sacred, the central story is sacred, and you, you have to let leave that as the the pure and shining holy thing that stays in your in your film and you can't play with it in the way that you can play with everything else but i think what monty python did was that they played directly with that you know so have you seen our flag means death
1: i've seen the first one yeah
0: i feel like that's what they do um and it made it it made this it made the show feel unimportant to me because it felt like they were playing with the sense of the story itself. Like there wasn't anything actually important about the story yeah. because they were playing with the story. So I didn't want to watch it anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I I mean, I must admit, I've watched the first one and I was really keen to watch it. And I just didn't find it funny at all. It hasn't got any jokes in it. So
0: it just It's this very strange kind of silly. Yeah, I mean... And the silly, silliness didn't catch me, but maybe it would later. Maybe it's like you have to learn. Yeah why it's funny and a lot of times really good comedy is like that it takes you a while to learn why it's funny because it's sort of novel but I didn't want to stick around
1: yeah I mean I think the I think art is in the intention so you're thinking what is the filmmaker trying to do I mean the, I think with any art anyway you you kind of give people a menu at the beginning and then and then or a language that's that the thing is going to speak in and then, you know, you, you succeed or fail on the terms that you set out. Yeah. And I think that Our Flags Means Death was trying to be funny and wasn't. That took for me. But I think, I think if you, it's like, um, pop fiction, for example, is messes with narrative structure in a way, in another way, it's the normal n- narrative structure, but messes with it in a very deliberate way. So you never, in, you know, it's not like he's not quite getting the narrative structure or it's not important. I mean, it's very, very important. He knows exactly what he's doing. And actually, I remembered my point I was trying to make that the central narrative must be important. And I think that one scene necessitates the next one, certainly in terms of the Mm. of the central narrative. So Something happens, and that forces things to to go into the next scene, which forces things to go into the next scene. So you've got this central thrust, and the sense that the the author of the piece, or the 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 writer, or whatever, knows exactly what they're doing, and has covered every base, and is really using every tool in the box to entertain you. So that's Quantum Mania.
0: So Quantum Mania didn't didn't do that.
1: Quantum Mania. I think didn't do that. Yeah. It had a lot of disparate elements. It wasn't that it wasn't funny. It had some good gags, but it would, I mean, if film is so unforgiving, it had some little bits that just dragged too much or went too off the central narrative. And
0: I think it's hard when you have, you have performers like Paul Rudd who are just sort of like, uh, you know, just charming, doing nothing. You know, he's a very easy uh, person to just hang around with, and I feel like the any kind of movie with Paul Rudd threatens to fall into that area of we're just hanging around mm-hmm. because because just his his being, you know, it's like he he draws film toward him in that way, and I feel like a director if they're not sharp enough will just sort of allow the film to become Paul Ruddified. yeah. And maybe that's what happens with Quantum Mania. Maybe there was a little bit of a shallowness in the storytelling or like maybe the script wasn't as sharp as everybody wanted it to be. And so they just let it get a little Paul Ruddy, <laughs> a little Muddy was Ruddy.
1: Well, there was one thing that was really bad, re- really bad. And that was that Evangeline Lilly just didn't, almost didn't say anything for the, mm. for the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes. She just was... And, you know, I was thinking, I was kind of facepalming, thinking, like, you know, are we back to having the girlfriend character? Uh, I mean, that's, that's really bad, really, really bad nowadays, you know. you
0: Well, it's very glaring now, because I think that so much of our media has kind of like, I mean, you know, you you can't have, you can't have like, the black person that's just the black person hmm. you know that whole sort of like the way that like stereotypes were fulfilled in in our media and how we, we've moved past that into a newer you know well i, I people are people and i hope the, we have, the,
1: but i mean i don't i don't think we're quite i don't think we're there yet i mean you know but saint guillermo del toro you know there i think it's Paci- yeah. pacific rim there are I think there are two women in that and they're both kind of dolls, you know, kind of, I mean, I, I sort of don't want to wag my woke finger at you, but I think, you know, way off, still way off. I mean, these things still happen. And
0: it, I mean, no, well, I'm saying, I'm saying the fact that you're picking up on that. I think you're a
1: racist basically. <laughs>
0: But the, I'm saying the fact that you're picking up on that in Quantum Mania. Oh no, she's been reduced to the the girlfriend role. I bet you you know you're not alone in feeling that. Yeah. And I think in part that's because so much of our I'm not saying you know everything's great, but I think you know if if you're not sort of with the kind of whatever the word is I don't like the word progressive, but progressive is fine. But if you're not with sort of the progressive movement of things like where where we we've, we've come. Uh, then i do feel like y- your material really doesn't feel smart or fair it just it feels it, it just feels dumb
1: yeah it does feel dumb that's why i think it's it's not it's not only a question of um equality it's a question of what what are you doing you know it's really really stupid and evangeline R- Lily's really really good i mean she's great she's i mean not using someone like that to the full is also really it's just a such a waste, a glaring waste, but um right. but the, you know there were, there was great things uh, I thought the visual invention of it was really, really interesting, and um Michelle Pfeiffer's really tremendously charismatic, and yeah, there was some cool stuff in it, but I think analysis is really important because I think it's it's such a shame that the work of all some brilliant people it can be dismissed. As you know, that was a crap film. It wasn't a crap film. It had it had some bad stuff in it and some good stuff and some really really good stuff in it. So, and I think I think that dismissing something as rubbish as bad mm. is a such a a disaster when so many people's art and so much money is vested in it. It these things mm. you know film and and arts in general, film, TV, theatre can be analysed and it can be changed and corrected.
0: I think that that is true, but I feel like the medium, like the art form in question has to sort of almost request that the analysis take it seriously, you know. it's And if it's not requesting it, if if you make sort of a, a silly film and it doesn't turn out well, I don't know if anybody really needs to spend any time, you know, thinking too hard about it. Mm. Even if a lot of money money is spent.
1: I think they do before it comes
0: out. I think they try to, but I think that, you know, it it is a very, like filmmaking is... You know, it's such a mysterious process and you know, there's a reason why uh I don't know, just things with great people can turn out so poorly. Um
1: when you say it's mysterious, I I kind of disagree in a way because I think it is mysterious, but I just think it shouldn't be. I think you can learn basic script writing. You can learn that there are there is a formula for screenwrite you know, narrative. There are these and If you don't like the term formula, which sounds prescriptive, there are tropes, there are tendencies in human storytelling which have been happening for thousands of years. And one can analyze them and you can learn them and you can learn what a basic script looks like, a a functional script. You can learn what it looks like. And I think all scriptwriters and screenwriters and playwrights should learn that formula and then do better than it because what happens in quantum mania is they mm. they've done worse than it they don't know it
0: i think what i mean by mystery is that you know for example like i'll use the my play i think there are some places that it's it's very funny right to me the places where i think it's very funny in the script didn't get any laughs um places where i didn't know it was funny or didn't think it was that funny got laughs And so and a lot of that was down to the the performers Mm. and the director and the way things were emphasized and and conveyed and carried. So I guess the thing is is that in in these in the in the sort of rendering of something, the the rendering itself isn't something that you can pin down or see in advance. You know, so you could write a you know, a very mediocre comedy, but if you get the right person in there and they can deliver it in the exact right way it'll seem like the funniest thing that ever was, but you won't be able to see it on the page.
1: Well, yeah, but I think that's, it's a danger that that sort of argument comes down to, well, quantum mania wasn't good. Well, let's try again. You know, no, wait a minute. You can take, you can get it to the best possible. I think the the way you get a great piece of art or a great film, for example, is what we're talking about, is to write the best script possible. Get it to the, I mean, you're spending millions on this. Get it to the best, best, best version on paper that you can then get then try it with the the best actors you can so the fact that the actors can make it or break it doesn't mean that you should start off with the best best platform that you can from from them to launch for them to launch from
0: no 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 i'm i think i'm not saying that all that all you're saying is true i'm not saying i don't think it's um i guess I, i just think that you can have the great script and you can have the great actors but if it's a great film it's going to be some bit of like, we couldn't have foreseen that. You know, something like Princess Bride, mm. uh, which is, you know, it's a great script with amazing performers, but it, the film itself turned out to be a bit of magic. You know, there's something mm. about it that it's above itself. It sort, of, it, it, it sort of glows. There's a golden glow about it throughout. And I feel like it, has, it just has that serendipitous collision of all these different things working out very well. At the same time, because I feel like that film, in a different filmmaker's hands with a different cast, could have turned out pretty average and maybe even kind of unpleasant. Mm. Like it just wouldn't have hit right.
1: You know, I've got I, I'm going to Hamilton, you now, because I just the oh no, Princess Bride. Yeah, I don't think it's great. I mean, I, I.
0: You think I Hamilton's like great, even though you didn't like it?
1: Yeah, I like the Princess Bride, but I like it. I think it's sweet, but I. I sort of. Is that
0: your Hamilton?
1: Maybe it is, yeah. I mean, I, I still, I see, I think I've st- seen it a couple of times and I like, I like bits of it. But I think when I saw it, you know, I was heavy, heavily into, you know, Tolkien esque fantasy. And, and it seems, it seemed to me like a, a kind of desperate attempt to recreate something that was.
0: I, I didn't think it have anything to do with that. With no, Tolkien it, or with a fantasy, no, no, it, it, it was it was pure it was pure fun. It was pure storytelling, yeah. fable fun. Yeah, I uh, suppose
1: so. It, I mean, I think I, th- this is going to sound awful, but it felt very sort of American to me. Yeah. In terms of you know, like a foreign attempt to to do a European sort of Western European fantasy. I think
0: I I can understand that. I think I mean you know m- maybe take Princess Bride out of it. I more mean that I ju- I I just I think that there's you know. And I, I hope, it's sort of like when, you, when you're when you finally filming Hold Excalibur, you know, I, I do think you'll probably have the best possible script and you'll have great actors. And, you know, this sort of the last thing that I sort of hope for you is that it just all comes together in that way where everything's a little bit, you know, everything is just, a, just comes together right. And when things come together right, and you can't control that, it's sort of like the weather or something like that. There seems to be... Something so, yeah. um, where where it just becomes a magical thing, and I think that's what we're looking for in film—is that sort of like that. We're looking for things that are a little bit better than they should be, and they come together for some reason that we don't quite understand. And there's this, there's just this, you know, lovely magic about it. And I think that's what filmmakers are always trying to are always hoping for. But it's like heart—you it, can't pin it down exactly. You can't make it happen. You can't say this is how it, it does. It just—it's just this weird weather pattern
1: yeah i
0: i that, uh, that's i mean that might be an opinion i don't know
1: well i think it's opinion i think it's obviously true but um but uh, yeah i know what i wanted to tell you that we're in we're in kind of pre-production well we are in pre-production oh. oh tell me um so we've been doing we've been doing the the concept artists have been doing uh cool concept art and i have a meeting in a couple of days about a particular monster, um, from Welsh legend called an avanc, uh, which is just, you know, too much fun to, to contemplate. <laughs> I can't wait. But one thing that we've been doing is, uh, maps. We're making a map of mm. legendary Wales and it's done by the, the art director in, on our film, uh, Dave, and it's just beautiful. I mean, it's his, he is an utter utter genius Hmm. his his artistic skill is off the scale and it's it's stunningly beautiful and it's so exciting I mean I love maps anyway but just to see uh the things that I've written realized in this form is is beyond thrilling and all the images are there's such such incredible skill gone into them. And one of the, the real thrills of it, we're realising this lost kingdom from Welsh legend called Cantrær Gwyllod. And it's the sunken kingdom. It's sometimes called the Welsh Atlantis. And imagining what that looks like is is really really exciting and we've got um the concept artist sam alvarez who's uh just knocking out these stunning images of a kind of robed figure with a staff looking out over this Mm. sunken ruined kingdom and just maps of it and all this stuff is is so exciting
0: you know it's interesting is as as you're saying that i'm picturing those things and all i'm seeing is like ai art generation (laughs) you know like or because it seems like a lot of like ai art is sort of like the you know the mysterious hooded figure with the staff looking over the beautiful land but it's interesting that you are you know you're working with all these different artists from character creators to you know map makers and visualizers and i don't know that it's it almost feels like old fashioned
1: well, to be honest, sometimes they—they they are. Um, they, Dave, the art director, is a very old-fashioned. I mean, he was educated at the Slade School, he's, which is a you know very prestigious school in, in Britain, in London. And he has come up through you know, he's done loads theatre design, and everything. He's enormously traditional skills that he has, and he's completely open to using AI to fill in, you know, mm-hmm. to perhaps to do a background or something on an image i mean he uses it i know he's used it on one image and uh he told me and it, i i funnily enough i didn't there was i it was the only image i think that he's done uh it's of a character but i said i don't really like the background mm. and that was the bit that he just filled in with with ai just just as a sort of experiment mm. but um i think it's i mean i know you use ai for for occasionally I, I you sort of showed me how it could be useful to to rewrite something that one could then rewrite Like descriptions of things. Yeah,
0: I use I use it like for like if I have to shorten something or I haven't done it. I haven't used text like the like Chat GPT that much. I've asked a bunch of questions. I do like AI art, but I have a lot of misgivings about it because I have friends that are artists and they are incredibly threatened Mm. by it. So to me, it's a so I don't I don't I feel like I don't understand. I feel like we can't stop it. Yeah. I feel like some rules are going to be drawn soon where, you know, I just feel like we need the rules. Mm. You know, I think we, we need to go like, we we need to have a sense of, of what this, the the playground of our world is going to look like. And because we, we don't want, we you know, I don't want, um, you know, people that are like the people that are working on your films, these artists working on your films, you know, extracted from the world because we can create these artificial images and we don't you know we can make fake maps mm-hmm. or whatever cuz we, we but i i just feel like there's there's a real need for the the rules to be set down so that we can see what what this ai how how this ai art stuff should be used in our world and i feel like it's playful stuff mm-hmm. i feel like we can use it playfully or to do certain types of um fun gestural stuff but never Never get rid of the artists. Yeah, I feel like that—that's sort of a—and uh, I feel like that's—that's—that seems to be the threat. And I don't know how real it is. because I don't—I don't—I don't, I can't imagine us having having a world where all of a sudden we don't need actual artists. You know, whether it's visual artists, music. Any, it, it seems I don't know what kind of world is that. Mm. I just feel like we're not going to end up there. So I'm just waiting for the rules. Who's coming up with these rules? of how it can be used and how we can say that we can't use it here. We'll use it in this space, you know, have fun with it, but, you know, don't fire, don't fire your graphic designer.
1: Well, I feel we ought to wrap up there. I just want to say that I saw two things that I just, because I've been quite negative, I feel I saw a program called bodies on, um, I think it was BBC. Um, it's
0: oh, the, the, yeah. I saw the first episode. The, the
1: sci-fi kind of sci-fi detective thing.
0: Yeah or there's sort of like it's not time well maybe it is time travel eventually but sort of like it's the same body shows up in three four or five different time yeah. periods in the same little alleyway and you have three or four different detectives that are sort of trying to figure out sort of the murder yeah. uh, of this person yeah and, um, i thought that was very compelling
1: yeah it was really good but i thought what was great was that it managed to sustain those different narratives really well yeah. it was a, a sort of lesson in how to have several narratives going at once
0: i i would, i agree with you i thought i thought it was one of those things where from the start of the first episode to the end of the first episode you really don't get very much other than this is the kind of storytelling we're going to mm. do which is this sort of so it's this I, I i think after the first body's discovered maybe after the second one you start getting a little hungry about the mystery like what's going on here but you don't get much uh, satisfaction there. Instead you get know n- what well, we're going to travel to a new time place, you know, with a new detective and they're going to have their personal experience with this body and it'll be a little bit different than the other two and that's going to be interesting. But really it was just a setup episode. Mm. Like, almost like the premise of the show is going to be this. So it, it almost doesn't really satisfy in a, a storytelling type way, in a A to B or A to, a to Z. It's just sort of like it's getting you ready for the rest of the show.
1: And the the other one I saw was Culprits, which kept me going. Um, that's, I think that's on Disney. I should, should have made a note. Of it. But it had one of the best endings I've seen in a long time. Mm. It was really, it had...
0: Is this a film?
1: No, it was a series um, with Gemma.
0: Oh, I see. So you saw the whole thing. Yeah,
1: Gemma Artisan and, um, you know, another, several other luminaries. But it, yeah, it was it was... It was great. It was really good. But um, I thought it ended so well. It was very satisfying.
0: I know that we're getting close to ending, but what Lois and I have been doing is we've been watching movies from the 80s that we did not see, (laughs) (laughs) that that appeared and that we knew about but failed to watch. So we saw Terms of Endearment, which I never had seen, Deborah Winger and Jack Nicholson. Um, We saw The Lost Boys, which you'd mentioned. Uh, Lois had never seen that. And... It's, it's strange. I, I, I thought they would be a, I thought they would be a little better and a little worse (laughs) in different ways. I don't know how to really be concise there, but, uh, the, you know, I thought Terms of Endearment would be a little bit sharper, but it hasn't, hasn't aged that well. Um, I think when it came out, it was probably a smart, wacky dramedy, um, but, as it sits now, it just is kind of strange. You know, it's sort of like the thing that made it kind of this wacky adult comedy drama um, now just doesn't, I don't know, we've had too much of that. We've gotten mar- smarter at it or better at it or something mm-hmm. like that. And so it um, feels a little, I don't know, clangy, something wrong in the, in the engine. Anyway. Yeah. Uh,
1: Let's wrap up there.
0: And thus we come to the end of another classic episode of How to Make a Film. Leave a gloriously stunning review of our podcast on iTunes and you'll win all sorts of prizes signed and unsigned. Please feel free to email your questions to podcast at secretplanet.co.uk. Sign up for updates on Dan's film. Hold Excalibur now in pre-production at secretplanet.co.uk. How to Make a Film was hosted by Dan exclamation point Freeman and Sean question mark Hurley, produced by Jamie Walsh, edited by Ethan Walsh.